All right, so Dan, you just put out this album, uh, Radiant Dawn, with operators. Yes. Maybe, I mean, I guess we'll kind of go track by track, but I'm sure we're going to get, like, sidetracked before too long. I wanted to kind of just talk... Or actually, let's literally start from the beginning of what is that first sample that's just like the E? Oh, it's a... So I I sampled a a speaking spell uh, and then kind of uh, chopped it up into, like... I wanted to be able to make words with it. (laughs) I had this idea. (laughs) I had this idea that if I could get all the phonemes chopped up because I didn't have a speech synthesizer. I could I could do like primitive uh, speech synthesis or fake it with the with the octatrack. And uh, it was way more time consuming than I thought it would be. So I abandoned that. And the only two letters that I thought were like or sounds that I thought were, uh, you know, musical in a weird way were were the E and C. <laughs> Which were kind of just, yeah, like like partially randomly selected. So yeah. My my very first thought was like, oh, maybe E and C is the chord progression, but then I was like there's no way cuz that's like such a distinct chord progression. I was like that's not what this is. I don't know what that shit is. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. Uh you you know that shit's for babies, right? Yeah, I I know it's for babies. I just <laughs> you know. Okay. I just you, so you kind of look your like children's you're a baby album, Radiant baby Dawn. Toys. I went to Canadian public school, so you know, sometimes I need to I need to reinforce uh speech and and also spelling. And I saw it and it said speak and spell and and I was like, okay, this is it. This covers both bases, both these these deficits that I have from my socialist public school upbringing, you know. So did you learn to speak and spell while making this album? I did. But I don't fully comprehend the words I'm saying. I just, you know, I've, I've learned to assemble sounds in a way that won't make people angry at me. Yeah, you stop short at C and E, so you've basically got only one vowel sound to work with. That's right. One consonant, one vowel. That's all you need. Have you ever seen those videos of uh, artificial intelligence trying to learn how to speak by just taking uh, just thousands of hours of audiobooks or whatever? And it just assembles it into something that sort of resembles English, but also not. No, <laughs> but I really, but I really want to. That yeah. stuff's fascinating. I gotta check uh, that, that out. That new, that new Holly Hurden record uh, is is pretty incredible in that way. Like she uh, she built this entire record uh, kind of in tandem with an artificial uh, artificial intelligence she programmed called Swarm, and there's a couple of songs where you can literally hear the AI trying to mimic uh three-part harmonies and it's it's horrifying it's like it's really upsetting and in in a way that's uh super entertaining yeah that's awesome that seems like something that brian eno wishes he did he's too old now he doesn't know how to use the computer he has a jitterbug (laughs) he just has he has two of those zoom pedals that have kind of like uh kind of like wawa pedals but they're zoom pedals and just uh just runs up runs tracks through that he just has a speaking spell he, just he does his... all his effects on a Line Six amp. That's right. Yeah. Not a lot of people know this. <laughs> he pulls a, he pulls a card out and it says, "Press the insane switch on the Line Six amp." And he's like, "Chance," you know. Cool. He's got four metal zones strung together. Yeah. Um. So the other things I was thinking on that first track, uh, is there like a slight tempo change when the kick drum comes in? Because I think that's really cool. A but I don't know temp- if that was just. If it, if I just perceive that, or if it's actually there, no, there I, uh, there actually is a slight ramp up 
we we kind of Arlen and I sort of lined out all the sequence drums. Like we recorded the sequence drums live uh, to Pro Tools, and then just like nudge the tempo a bit in Pro Tools, cool. like when the when the drums kick in. Yeah, that was what it felt like. Um, and I'm like, that's awesome that you did that. I love those kind of like just subtle, weird, uh, I don't know. It, like there's already like a propulsive thing to adding the first like element of the, of the kit. So it makes sense to also just up the tempo just a little bit to make it more like propulsive and whatever. Yeah. It kind of makes it, it makes it more exciting. That whole song is supposed to feel like it's, it's just, you know, it's just rushing towards like a brick wall, basically, which is the end where everything completely falls. Yeah, exactly. Apart. It's a good way. An album this like cohesive, it makes sense to have an intro track that deliberately builds momentum like that. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing on that track that's really interesting to me is the sort of chopped up sample that ends the song. It sounds like it's an acoustic guitar that you just kind of looped and chopped up. And I, you can hear it in like the last chorus and stuff too. Is yeah, that an acoustic yeah, guitar yeah. or what is that? It's, it's <coughs> excuse me, it's not. It's uh, it's an electric guitar that is unplugged. Uh, oh, and, okay. That makes perfect sense. And yeah. close mic'd with a bunch of mics and then we, like a bunch of shitty mics. And then we, I played like different variations of like the those I guess it's like three chords and then uh, we took those chords and then hand pasted them together so they'd be like a little off time and kind of took slight variations of them and like just randomly put them in. Cool, that's and, awesome. Uh, to make like a rhythm track almost, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that shines through. Like that was almost what I thought you were doing, but I didn't realize it was just like an unplugged electric. That's great. Yeah, I, I love the sound of an unplugged electric guitar is weirdly like, uh, uh, like traumatic for me because I think of like all the, all the bands I've been in or like just like hanging out at some dude's apartment and he's like, check out this song I wrote and it's always on an unplugged yeah. electric guitar. <laughs> but also, I've written a ton of songs on unplugged electric guitars from living in apartments and not being and not having a studio and being like, all right, well, I guess this is it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, absolutely. I'm I have a lot of old recordings of me doing ideas where it's just like one of those little handheld voice recorders. Yeah. And then uh, unplugged electric guitar. And I, there's a certain charm to it, even though it just objectively sounds so bad. Yeah. Yeah. We still really... better than acoustic guitar, though. Yeah, totally. That's how. That's one of my takes. I I agree with that take one hundred percent. Let's see what else I got here. So for I feel emotion, um, I really like the song structure here, where you kind of do like, I mean, I don't know. I guess like a band like Radiohead constantly does this thing where it's like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, then like some kind of escalation. But what you yeah. do differently here is that it's like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and like a bridge that doesn't escalate that much and just kind of like trails off with an outro, you know? Yeah, that song, so uh, Devoika wrote and performed all all the instruments, uh, all the instrumentation on that song, um, which is kind of like a first for me. I've never, I've never like made a record and had somebody else like write the song front to back and perform everything and then be like, okay, now you sing over it. <laughs> yeah, you're just like the pop uh, diva coming in here. Basically, yeah. And uh, we, but we like, we workshopped it in the, in, in the, in the studio, you know, we, we jammed it out and she was like, okay, I wrote this thing. 
it goes like this. Now you sing over it. And uh, it was it was like one of the most fun songs to record on the record. So she recorded, I think there were like 30 or 40 tracks of like synth and drum machine and bass and all this stuff and basically gave it to me, gave it to me and Arlen and gave us like kind of a direction for editing it. And we edited it in the Nymo and sent it back. And she was like, okay, this is perfect. This is what I was hoping you guys would do. And then it was done. It was weirdly awesome. easier. I remember being like really nervous, like chopping out certain like patches and stuff like that of the song, but it worked. Yeah. That's a cool like editing process. The, and yeah, I think, like I was saying, I think the song structure is really interesting because it's like, it's a, it's a novel take on a structure that gets done a lot. That really works. That's all. Song. That's definitely all her. Cause like when we wrote it, uh, I, we had that, what I thought was a bridge and I was like, it's got to go back to the chorus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Like that would be like the more and, conventional way to finish it, but it's cool that she, it just kind of trails off. Yeah. And she was like, no, it doesn't have to go back to the chorus. It's like a second chorus. It's not a bridge, you know, it's like, yeah, I think she's absolutely right. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it, it pays to have surprising structures like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, what else? Oh yeah. The other good thing about that song is like, I mean, this gets at how the whole album in general kind of feels, but, um, uh, the line, like the lyrics that you sort of reuse in this track and the next track. Um, yeah. You know, like that. Yeah. Like I spend days and nights in nowhere places, but every place is a nowhere place. It seems like, um, it made me think of how like on E1, we'll use the same joke like 50 times. Um, <laughs> yeah. but like, because it's a callback, people appreciate it rather than like, if you do a stand up set 50 times, people are like, Oh, this shit sucks. I already know where they're going with it. But when it's like yeah. when you somehow position it as a callback, people are like, oh, I get it, you know. That's a, it's it's kind of like world building, right? Like that's the yeah, thing. I, exactly. That's that's one thing I love about E One. Like when I first started listening to E One, I can't remember what the first episode I listened to was, but it definitely mentioned orcs, and I was yeah. like, <laughs> like as if they were real and living in this world, you know, of Terra Hot. India. <laughs> and then I listened to another episode. Yeah, I, I love and, all those those callbacks. That they don't really make sense, but it's just like a universe of all the stuff that Branson and Andrew like. It eventually yeah. like and it, and it, it turns into its own like universe that yeah, makes sense. It's very it manifests beautiful. itself in a way that makes sense over time. And like this this album in a way does the same thing where it's not lazy to reuse the lyrics because it's very deliberate that you're creating sort of a world that eventually yeah, manifests you know i really wanted you know this album to like when we started writing the songs i felt like all of them were if not thematically connected then they were all i wanted them all to take place in the same world like maybe not on the same continents of that world or in the same places but on, and definitely on the same planet you know and then it was just a matter of like me and devoika figuring out all right what is this place look like like what does it sound like what uh and then and then just dropping myself personally into it and and trying to you know trying to uh sing from the heart but as if i was stuck there or lived there and and re like sort of copying those lyrics and pasting them into other songs was was a way to definitely kind of connect connect those things and make make it seem like you know, or, or just build that world. 
not unlike uh, talking about uh, Monsanto and, and Oryx makes E1 <laughs> live in a universe that is just slightly off from our own, right? Like, for But sure. it's its own place. Yeah, it is. It is like a similar concept for sure. Like, it, and, and even like place... naming naming those interstitials after lyrics also helps. And even just having those little interstitial instrumentals kind of makes it feel more connected and uh, seamless. Yeah. I guess we were kind of hoping that like so the interstitials uh, come from like uh, an almost three hour long uh, jam session like that we did over well it was it was like it's a recording three hour recording over that was done over four days uh cool. where we just basically improv stuff live off the floor we had a bunch of synths set up guitar bass some drums and andy uh the guy that mixed the record he ran the entire mix through a cassette deck and a bunch of effects pedals and then we took that and edited edited it down, and we grabbed some sort of little chunks out of it. And we, uh, Devoika and I were basically like, okay, these should act as if you're scanning through the radio radio dial in the world of Radiant Dawn. This this would be like what people would listen to for fun in this world, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Like that makes like uh, thematic sense, but it also just uh, makes sense from like the perspective of making it more coherent too. I don't know. I don't know. That's not a very, uh, that thought doesn't mean much. But. No, no, no. That, I, yeah, that totally makes sense. I did. We're eventually going to release, uh, it's almost done, but we're going to release a double cassette. That's like, uh, a further mix down of all that stuff with a bunch of, with a bunch of, uh, well, a huge amount of it didn't obviously didn't make it to the record, but it's ex extended versions of those intertidal pieces. And cool. Then, yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Oh, so on Faithless, what's that thing that like the melodic, like warbly thing that starts at the beginning? Because it kind of sounds like a chaosolator or something to me, but I'm sure it does like a million synths it could be. Or It's a pocket piano. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. You just got like the stylus or something. No, it's a, it's a Kruger and Guitari pocket piano. And then uh, there's one setting on it that's supposed to be like... Um, it's supposed to be like an FM mono lead synth, but it has this weird arpeggiator in it. Uh, and it kind of has portamento as well. Yeah. And then, and then I ran that through, uh, there's this effects pedal called a shallow water. It's a Fairfield circuitry, I think. And that's just like a low pass gate with a sample and hold LFO in it. And basically what is what it does is anything you send into it, it applies random pitch changes oh cool okay so that's really what what so lends it that dial, weird character yeah yeah if you dial in a little little bit of it and then uh the the sort of solo section that sounds like a electric guitar is is just that same synth through uh, a bit crusher <laughs> cool that's awesome i like the like the kraut rock sort of feel of that song it's just kind of like you know, drony and driving and shit. Um, in a way, it's kind of like the centerpiece. I don't know if that's like the right word to use, but yeah, yeah, yeah. When we wrote it, we were like, "This is the uh, we want it." We we were gonna position it like dead center in the album, but it didn't make sense. Um, didn't make sense se sequence wise. Yeah, but exactly. Always, the energy of it is kind of like an earlier album energy, I guess. Like. Yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of more like almost like a Handsome Furs track than a than like an, a a track off 
off Radiant Dawn in a weird way. Yeah, for sure. But I think like arrangement wise, it's very operators y like Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um Oh, I think another this is like applies to any song, but I think I wrote it down while I was listening to that song that what's interesting to me arrangement wise about the whole album is that it seems like there's always either you're doing like interesting samples and noises or you're singing, but you always or like often tend to cut out those sort of more weird extraneous noises when you sing and then bring them back when you don't almost as if they're like a lead instrument in a way. Yeah, that was super intentional uh, when we were writing the songs, and then and then we kind of pushed it when we were mixing uh, with Andy, uh, where we're just like, okay, we've got the vocal as the melodic element, and when the vocal goes away, we bring in something kind of almost dissonant that's like detuned almost to the point of being unpleasant and sour, but not quite, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because like, in certain ways, this album makes me think of like Panda Bear. Um, the album Panda Bear Meets the Grim Reaper, but on that album, he would just keep like four different weird dissonant things going with the vocals. And he like, and he'll, you know, he'll like multi-track the shit out of his vocals and have all that stuff going. And you're kind of using similar textures, but you always keep them separate. I don't know. Yeah. We wanted to, we, especially, uh, when we were working on the programming, we wanted to treat it almost like, uh, techno like really stripped down minimal techno where like there's sonic space for each element but maybe there's not a lot going on you know yeah absolutely the mixes actually strike a good balance between they're not too claustrophobic but they're also not like so simple that it's like plain you know like i think there's a like just the right amount of like richness of you know adding shit to the mixes yeah we we really didn't want to leave it clean you know i i think uh we didn't want to leave it clean, but we didn't also, I, I think there's a weird tendency to like, there's almost a, this is going to sound dumb, but there's almost like a macho quality to, if you have a song and you're like, it sounds too clean. And then the, the first thing you do is like slam it with compression and put just, and, and like overdrive everything. Yeah, totally. Like, like it just didn't, that was more like blue wave, you know, when we were working with Graham Walsh, she made all the preoccupations records like and i and that works for like kind of post-punk type stuff but it didn't really work for these songs i actually didn't know you did that album with the guy who did the preoccupations albums but that makes sense in retrospect knowing that now <laughs> yeah yeah i look graham rules he uh he also made the um the mets records too so oh cool, oh, cool. yeah blue wave has a great sound that's all graham that's like he has he plays in this band holy fuck and he's kind of he's kind of developed like his own sound like you know when you're listening to a record that he made you know uh and part of it part of his thing is just running everything through effects pedals which which is just so rad like it's so like low rent you know yeah like, you that's have awesome. to com- <laughs> you have to commit to this shit like because it's going it's going to pro tools and if and if you want a different sound, you gotta do it over again. Like, I like that. In the modern rent, the day side clean, the work is definitely done. Changing in the strange. We, we were listening to a lot of OMD, like Daz, the Dazzle Ships record. I don't know if you've heard that. No, um, no, I should check that out. It's 
That was a big influence on the record. Like, a, a, I'd say a little bit sonically, especially on like, uh, especially on like, uh, I feel emotion. But uh, that record was OMD was a huge pop band uh, at the point that they released that album, and they put it out. And that record is a concept record about the Cold War that is super abrasive and weird, and has like some beautiful pop moments on it. Uh, but it at the time was the biggest commercial failure I think in British music history. <laughs> we were just like, yes, this is the template. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. that's the whole point of building up goodwill is so you can squander it on something that you actually enjoy doing. Yeah, it's true. Um, maybe I just thought of this. This is like apropos of nothing, but um, I think I just thought of this because we were talking about preoccupations of uh, are you a fan of like this heat? Yeah, I am. I kind of, I was late to the party uh, with this heat, but um, when I, I I heard them like, I think a couple of years after, or maybe a year after Wolf Parade put out Apologies, and I immediately was just like, why have I never heard this band before? And yeah, I love I love those records, but I feel like they've had like a. Kind of like Eddie Vedder's voice is objectively good, but has had a malign influence on music. I feel like some people hear this heat records and make really cool music, like I'd say Preoccupations or or Women before them. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And then some people hear this heat and make like unlistenable fucking garbage. So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you can I pick was, up on like the most abrasive elements and then just not add like the elements that actually make it good and creative. Yeah, and I think they're an impossible, they're one of those bands like The Fall, I think is, is in the same category. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's nothing worse than a band that loves The Fall and is trying to sound like them. But I mean, bands... the, maybe the <laughs> ultimate example of that kind of thing is Rage Against the Machine where like anything derived from it is just garbage. <laughs> like it basically yeah. led to all of like your Limp Biscuits and all that kind of new metal bullshit. Yeah, that's a huge point, man. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but anyway, to try to bring that back around. Um, yeah. Audio Slave was a total ripoff. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, just more random notes here, like uh, Terminal yeah. Beach at the end. I assume that's a guitar at the end of it. Maybe it's like a really affected synth or something, but I really like like the sort of Leslie effect, like a slight... Uh that's a that's again that's the uh that's the same synth on Faithless. Oh, really? It's uh yeah, it's the critter, um, the same patch actually, but through uh, through like a really weird distortion pedal that's broken that I have. Nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just we had this lead. It was supposed to go over every single chorus because it's like this soaring lead, but it was really distracting from the vocals. And uh, Davoika and I kind of decided we were just like, all right, like let's just drop it at the end like twice and then it's you know it gets its day in the sun and yeah uh, the, vo the vocals don't continue on and that's it you know that's definitely the right like creative decision because it might become like kind of just well like you're saying distracting but also just sort of overdone if you hear it that frequently. yeah you can definitely you know you can have a like a great melody and then the earth like you just if it especially if it's fun to play like that line was super fun to play so we'd be working the song out live and I just 
continuously want to be just jamming that line. Yeah. <laughs> but but it doesn't mean it needs to live in the song forever, you know? Exactly. It doesn't need yeah, to happen yeah. like 50 If people want to hear it again, so. they could just fucking listen to the song again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning that. The older, the older I get, the more records I make. I'm like, okay, you don't have to just, you don't have to drop that one melody over and over again. You can just save it, deploy it. Yeah. Um, I remember like a while back... You and me talked about the sample at the end of Strange, and it was like a exorcism from the 20th century. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, it's from Ubu. I think it's Ubu Web. The there's this website that has uh, sort of experimental music, uh, like bizarre sort of scientific documents, and and then a whole section on uh, of like MP3s of seances. And that's a that's a seance from I think the 1920s. I think it's New York City, and it's I listened to like all of these different seance recordings they had, and that one that one just struck me. It just, I don't know. It just feels so haunted. You know? Yeah, for sure. Like that. The every and the line everything is unrecognizable uh, really fit in with with the album like the the idea that the world the album lives in has been uh distorted by the presence of some unknowable object or for sure force, yeah it's something you know. that you could conceivably could have just written for the lyrics anyway you know yeah it just it fit in perfectly and then it actually led to like uh like it sparked off a bunch of other lyrics on the album just listening to that so cool i was we didn't know how to end that song like it's this kind of pop song you know uh, this sort of synth pop song, and we were again. This is another thing where we were. I was like, we got to go back to the chorus, and I was convinced otherwise by Arlen and and Dev. Cool. And yeah, no, I like that move. I mean, I think too the fact that both like Strange and Come and See end with samples like that. You couldn't do that early in an album, but by toward the end of the album, you're allowed to get away with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, because people are comfortable at that point. People should be comfortable with the world they know you know they they kind of have a feel for for the world that they're in so so you can you can drop stuff like that you can kind of expand it a bit yeah absolutely um and actually on that note like what's the sample in come and see oh it's uh so uh there's this book called uh los angeles the four ecologies which was written in like the late 60s and it was a, it was basically a love letter to LA. And it was, it, I, I love the book. It's fucking amazing, but it's, uh, it kind of repudiates like whatever the current thinking was back in 68, 69 on Los Angeles as being a garbage city. Everybody kind of shit on LA for being poorly planned, which it is. And, and, uh, for being extremely artificial and, now I can't remember the name of the author, but uh, this British guy, he wrote this book basically saying, no, Los Angeles is a model for the future and it's actually a beautiful place. And the BBC in 1971 made a, made a documentary of him traveling around Los Angeles, basically a condensed version of the book. And one of the scenes in the documentary is this bus driver. He's, he's, he's driving like a, a tour group around Star's Homes, right? It's a tour of Star's Homes. And he's showing them all these different houses. He's showing them like Lucille Ball's house, 
just these old old timey like old timey movie yeah movie people and then he pulls down like the, he's got one of those hanging microphones he pulls down the microphone and he sings uh on a clear day you can see forever but there's no musical accompaniment it's just the fucking noise of the traffic and the bus and there's something so beautiful about that and it really fit in with the the song come and see is you know but it it's about being an entertainer and being old and <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I was just like, okay, this is it. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta put this sample in. So I put it in the, I put it in the Octatrack. We, we built some of that song in the Octatrack and I tried to pitch it to the key of the drone that happens at the end, that kind of like oceanic, like arp, arpeggiated wash. For and sure. it wasn't, it wasn't working because, uh, the guy isn't singing to any key. He's not, he doesn't have a note in mind, you know? He's kind of in tune with himself and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. So Andy went in and just basically, like, phrase by phrase, used an Eventide to, like, get it into the key of C. And it took him a whole afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't there for it. But uh, he said to me, he was like, I'm done. I did it. (laughs) I was so proud of him. I felt so fucking bad. (laughs) You should have just slammed it with, like, T-Pain auto-tune. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> talked about that. We were just like, should we just like Antares auto tune this shit or? It just like destroys no. the vibe of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about anything that we like covered or anything? I don't think so. I mean, I guess like, I, hmm, how do I say this? That's like, in my career making records, there have been, I, I'd stand by any record I've ever put out, but there are few records that when I made them, I knew that I'd kind of pushed myself into a new, uh, a new era of my own songwriting, you know? Yeah. Like, like they marked, they marked the beginning of something a different way of approaching music, a different way of songwriting, different way of singing. And I think like Apologies is definitely one of those records, uh, the second Handsome Furs record, and now this record. So like when I finished it, Dev and I sat down and listened to the test pressing and we were just like, I don't, we don't really care if people like or don't like it. Like <laughs> it was, it was totally just working through it and making it pushed us into something new and, and, and it felt good and it was worth it. So yeah, absolutely. No, I I don't know if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Cause I do think it's like just a very, I don't know the best albums like live in a world. And this album definitely like creates its own world that like you judge by its, whether the aesthetic is something that you relate to or not, you know, like it's, it's of the caliber of album where, it's actually doing, it's actively doing something top to bottom. And whether you like that or not says something about who you are rather than what the album is doing. Does that make sense? Like there's a type of person who's going to vibe with this album. There's a type of person who won't, but the ones who do are going to understand um, exactly your intent, I guess. Yeah. I I think that's that's the best you can ever hope for. That's all you can ever hope for. And, and the reason, and you know, one of the things I, I knew we, I was wrapping that record up. Uh, as we started working on the new Wolf Parade record, which just got mixed yesterday, Sweet. and is going to ma- and is going to mastering, 
and I knew that I knew that Radio Dawn was good when we were in the studio with Wolf Parade and some of the stuff that I had learned or pushed myself to do with Radiant Dawn was showing up in the processes I was using to work with Spencer and Arlen on the new Wolf Parade record. And I was like, okay. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for talking All about right. it. Alex, thanks for your uh, incredibly important contributions on this one. You're welcome. I now know that the speaking spell is for babies and I feel shame. I feel deep shame. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's not for adults. <laughs> so in conclusion, the new Operators album is a fucking Rafi record. Baby Beluga cover coming as the B-side to uh, Faithless. Yeah, that's right. It's just all, uh, it's all children's music. Well, there's a market for that. There is, E1 kind of dabbles in that, you know? E1's exclusively for the zero to eight demographic. Yeah. Kids love Black Flanders. Yeah. They love... And Frere Jaca, you know, just a classic jam. All right. That well, song's a bop. On that note, we'll leave all of our uh, seven-year-old listeners to whatever they're going to do. They're going to nap now. Well, I feel-